When all is ready, I throw this switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collected Edition comic book podcast, where we discuss the famous and infamous runs and story arcs throughout the history of comics. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and with me, as always, Brian Reese. Good day to you, Mr. Carr. <laughs> and a good day to you, too, sir. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> um, anything new happening, Brian? Nah. Uh, right. Well, I mean, we're coming out of a deep freeze, but other than that, nah. Yeah, that was, that was some weird temperature things going on for a while. Yeah. Good, good times. Yeah. Today on the program, we'll be discussing Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the epic story written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Steve Epting. But first, we're going to talk about something that I know nothing about, <laughs> which should be an interesting discussion. As, a, as, opposed, to, as opposed to the rest of our podcast. <laughs> oh! Yes. So recently Ooh. premiered on the CW. CW. Uh, is the new... A Superman and Lois television yeah. program uh, featuring the characters that were first introduced on the Supergirl show. So right. the Flarrowverse. Probably, uh, you know, several years before that in the in uh, DC Comics. <laughs> Merely talking about the tele- <laughs> televisual uh, performances. So uh, I have not seen the premiere episode, but Brian has. So Brian, tell me why I should be watching this. So, you know, I, I approached it with some skepticism. I, I was kind of like, uh, another CW superhero, DC superhero show. I was like, I'm already watching, you know, this one and that one and the other one. And some of the, some of them I'm kind of been on the verge of abandoning, you know, and I, I was like, ah, am I going to really start another one? And, uh, but then I, I, I saw some reviews and it seemed positively rated. And I was like, well, you know, so this weekend I was like, I got a couple hours kill. Let's give it a shot and see is any good. And and I, I was very pleasantly surprised. You know, there's not, you know, it's with Superman. Superman's a hard, we've talked about this before. This is not a, a new idea in any kind of comics fandom that Superman is not always the easiest to write because there's not a lot you could do with a guy that's, invulnerable and uh, seemingly emotionally you know well off so i i the show was good I, i'm not gonna go out and say it's great i don't know yet i've just watched one episode uh we'll see where they take it from here but i was very surprised and and pleasantly pleased it, it doesn't feel like a cw show and oh. I think, like, you know what I mean. No, when I know I, exactly what you mean. When I say a CW show, and I think everybody listening uh, most likely uh, knows exactly what I mean when I say a CW show, it was mature. It was well acted. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nothing like a CW show. So it's nothing like a CW show. Yeah. Um, no, a CW show you typically has, you know, it's it's very charming and it's quirky and filled with so, so much angst. Right. Some teenage-esque and, drama. Yeah. yeah. And and the acting is, like in most CW shows, you, you have like one or two like really good actors in the show. And then there's a lot of, well, who's available? <laughs> yeah. Well-meaning people. Right. Yes. So <laughs> earnest performances. 
right. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but this show, it looked great too. Again, kind of going against the CW norm where the CGI is sometimes yeah, a little on the sketchy side. This was a, a lot of care uh, was put in into this show and I was very, very, very pleased. Now there's some there's some quibbles um, for a show that's called Superman and Lois. I'd like to see a little bit more Lois. I, oh. I think in the in the first episode uh, she may it may not have passed the Bechdel test, where it felt like uh, a lot of what she was doing was reacting to the males uh, around her. But that that's this is the first episode and obviously they have plenty of room to develop her. It's not that she was, her character was done poorly in any way, shape or form. I just like to see a little bit more uh, Lois as, you know, the most important reporter in the, in the world. Yeah. Uh, well, her but, uh, characterization on the, on Supergirl was, I thought was quite well done. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I do like, told you this before i keep i always keep wanting to call him tyler durden but that is not his name the actor who plays superman it's tyler, Ty- Hoechlin? tyler Hoechlin. yeah yeah uh what i said to you earlier was uh tyler durden is the uh superman 3 version <laughs> <laughs> with the fight anyway uh but no their character i i really liked their characterizations in that show they were very um they were very charming and very and it was very well done uh, i didn't know how that would translate to a full program featuring them as their greatest side characters. So I don't know how that would translate, but so I'm very pleased to hear that you, you say that it's good. Cause I do want to see it I, again. You know, next episode could be terrible. I, I don't know yeah. <laughs> by the time this posts, it could be, but uh, you know, there, there's at least one CW show that I'm on the verge of dropping. There's another one that I'm essentially hate watching at this point. <laughs> You know, I still think Legends of Tomorrow is the cream of the crop. I agree with you 100% on that one. I still try to catch up with Flash every now and again. Yeah, it's just, they have a very limited shelf life, in my opinion. They start out great, and then they sort of run their course over, a, in, in the case of Flash, they literally run their course yeah. over a while. Yeah it, it, yeah, it gets to the point of like, which speedster is it going to be the villain this year? This year. I, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, but I always find them very, like I said, they're very charming. They're just fun. I don't, I don't see them as, as deeply intellectual television, but they're just a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think, uh, it, and, you know, especially again with Legends, which, you know, Legends didn't start off great, but I think when they realized the absurdity of the premise they, they just went for broke yeah. and threw everything against the wall. And it turned out to be pretty hilarious. Yeah. And it just something one would actually look forward to watching, you know, sort of thinking what, what completely nutty, kooky thing is going to happen on this episode. And they, you know, there, any appearance of Bebo is... Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they just doubled down on the wacky, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. And not even pretending to try to explain most things. <laughs> um, but I think with uh, with Superman and Lois, if if the first uh, episode is is any indication, it's 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 kind of it's a very strong tonal shift. It's still it's very family oriented. There's action sequences, but a lot of the show is is just very family oriented, very um, very reflective. 
and uh, but not not in a negative way, not in an emo way. It's not an emo show. I mean, there's emotional things that happen because any show, film, for a drama to to latch on. I mean, they're they're generally you feel like there needs to be some emotional center, and so I think they do a good job with uh, sort of doing that without making it just you know uh, for the for the for the the kids. Oh, good. I find it. I, I think it's a good thing that we have a, a Superman that is likable and is a nice person uh, that has been sorely lacking in the last, I don't know, decade. Yeah. At least in the theatrical versions. Right. You yeah. know, and, and some people might, uh, I guess some people might be like, oh, but Smallville's still the, you know, pinnacle. I was like, well, but Smallville yeah. is a very different show. That's, you know, young, that's young Superman. That's young Clark Kent. This is adult married Clark Kent with two kids. Yeah. Well, this, you know, he's in episode one, he's apparently already put on the suit. So he's head and shoulders above uh, Smallville. (laughs) (laughs) Remind me, did he ever put on the suit in Smallville? The very last episode you saw him fly away in a suit, but that was it. That was the very last episode. And you know what? I mean, good, good for that premise in some ways. I, I I appreciate the fact that they're like, no, you're not, you're not getting, you're not getting the suit. This isn't about Superman. It's about young. But they had every other superhero in the DC universe (laughs) show up in their suits. (laughs) Just freaking put Superman in a suit with underwear on the outside, please. Thank you. (laughs) There's, there's a, there's a, in in Superman and Lois, uh, there, there are some nice, uh, homages uh, to historical Superman. There's there's one kind of fun moment that references uh, the very the first issue of Action Comics. There there is a reference to the old Superman suit, uh, which is which is kind of fun. And it's one of those some of those are Easter eggs that if you don't get it, it doesn't matter. But it's it's not it doesn't feel like fan service. Excellent. Uh, no, that that's really good to know. I I do want to catch up with it at some point. Uh, you know, I mean, this isn't, you know, we're not talking Breaking Bad here or Mad Men or, you know, we're not, <laughs> you know or Better Call Saul. Or, but uh, at the same time, it's it feels like a very large step forward for a CW show. There, there, there's another show on the CW that I kind of like called In the Dark that's not comic based at all. So it doesn't really it's not applicable here. But uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh Again, by the time this actually comes out, we're probably going to be like two or three episodes in and, you know, our opinion might change. But I, I think that uh, I was pleasantly surprised that, uh, you know, we, we got what seems to be a very good episode of a Superman show. Excellent. That's really good news. It might be uh, it's the word I'm looking for. Super. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's, you know, that's fun. So, do we got anything else before we begin the real nitty gritty? Not really. Episode? I mean, uh, I, I did notice recently uh, that uh, Dan Didio uh, has has passed his one year mark after being uh, let go of uh, DC. So, it's possible we might, uh, you know, with the non compete or what have you, it's uh, you know maybe we'll we'll see some more Dan Didio uh, writing for Image or something. I don't know. Okay. But if he goes to Marvel, that would be interesting. Oh my! Oh, oh my! Yeah. Wow. Oh, we we should just start that rumor. Dan Didio is rumored. Dan Didio to be, is going to Marvel. He's rumored hired by Marvel. 
and put in charge. <laughs> put in charge. <laughs> put in charge of like stuff because somebody needs I, to be. I heard somewhere that someone <laughs> said that knew somebody who worked at the at the company that was next door to the Marvel offices uh, said that Dan Didio was. <laughs> That's right. Dan Didio is now running Marvel. There was no one else doing it, so he figured he might as well step in. I heard somebody say it, so it must be true, even if it was just you a couple minutes ago. We have confirmed that rumor. <laughs> we have confirmed <laughs> that that's a rumor. All right. Uh, on that note, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about some Captain America. All right. Hi. I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honouring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. Want to learn more about the Fist of Conchu in comics? You got it. We review all current and classic runs from Mensch to Houston to Lemire. Want to know where else to find the Avatar of Vengeance? Glad you asked. We also review action figures, video games, animation, TV... Anything and anywhere Moon Knight is featured, we've got it covered. All this along with any latest news which may feature our White Knight, week in or week out. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your conchu on. And we're back. Paul, today we'll be discussing your recommendation. Would you like to tell us a little bit about it? I sure do. Retroactive continuity, retcon. The act of rewriting the past to conform to the present. Comics do this all the time. When a character's been around a long while, they bring with them decades of baggage, inconsistencies, and contradictions. And in the case of a character created during wartime as a propaganda device with jingoistic storylines and a child sidekick, that baggage is heavy. Over the years, many writers have attempted to retcon Captain America to make the man out of time seem more of his time, with varying results. So that, by the time of the early 2000s, Ed Brubaker was tasked with combining all these disparate parts into a cohesive whole. Ed Brubaker was up to the task. Set in the aftermath of the Avengers' disassembled storyline, the Winter Soldier arc finds Steve Rogers at a low point. He's directionless, without purpose, and begins to question himself and his legacy. He even begins to question the validity of his own memories. It's at this moment that a complicated plot emerges, led by a Russian oligarch, armed with a mystical cosmic weapon and aided by a mysterious assassin who might possibly be Captain America's dearest friend. In Winter Soldier, Brubaker does what he does best. He weaves tight storylines of espionage, politics, corporate dealings, and betrayal, all shrouded in mysteries and held together with characters driven by complex motives. This, combined with Steve Epting's dynamic action-oriented art, helps Winter Soldier tell a compelling superhero spy story that intricately pulls together all the various past iterations of Captain America into a realistic, modern, well-rounded combination. They retell the past so deftly, you might begin to believe that that's the way it always was. 
Brubaker's epic run on Captain America redefined the character for the 21st century, and the Winter Soldier arc in particular set the stage for a new direction for Steve Rogers, a path he's still on, while at the same time introducing an old character that laid the groundwork for how old concepts could be revived and made new again. All the while, Brubaker never forgot the most important feature of Captain America, and that is, his real strength is not physical, but rather his strength of character is what makes him powerful. Brian, what did you think of Captain America Winter Soldier? Man, I love Brubaker. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? I feel like I feel like I utter that phrase every few podcasts. Uh, and I'm going to be generally unapologetic about uttering it today and in the future as needs must be. One of the things about this series, oddly enough, is it made me miss Brubaker and Greg Rucka writing together. Yeah. Oh, Gotham uh, Central, which yes. we covered on this podcast. Yes, we did. Way back in our nascent days, so I'm not sure how well we covered it at the time. We were finding our feet at the time. Of course, maybe we still are. Not not known for our planning ahead, let's say. But uh, the reason I bring that up in this context for discussing this particular story arc is that you have Greg, Greg Rucka is still out there writing these incredible stories and these these great kind of hard-boiled spy-oriented stories. Lazarus, you know, is phenomenal amongst uh, some of his other works. And, you know, you have Brubaker out there writing basically criminal and all of the sort of hard-boiled stories that he's been doing. And now his current project that he's that he's doing, which are the series of hardcover, hard-boiled stories and whatnot. But, uh, it, it, you know, and, and this particular story arc also remind, makes me think like it's it, it's closest Brubaker bit is probably Velvet, which we, we talked about mm-hmm. off mic uh, earlier today in, in some semi-prep. And uh, I just remember how good those two were writing together. Now that's nothing about uh, against them writing separately, obviously. Yeah. But this just made me think of like Gotham Central uh, in ways that have nothing to do with anything concrete or thematic with Gotham Central it just is that type of plotting uh, that was done in Gotham Central that I really feel like the Winter Soldier story arc and and Brubaker's larger run on Captain America has a lot of similarities there I I don't know if that makes sense and and some may disagree with me no he absolutely I agree he um he has a knack for writing procedural type of stories yeah, with uh, and he's he's really good at at, at combining combining very uh, a huge cast. You know, he'll yes. have his his central figures, but there's a bunch of little little pieces floating in and out all the time. So you right. have like, for instance, in this one, you have you know, it's basically Captain America and Sharon Carter are the main characters, but then you have Nick Fury and and all the Shield members, and then all the the villains and and that whole and their organization. But they never feel like they're generic. Every even little side characters feel like they're uh, well-rounded and they're they're fleshed out. Yeah, I guess yeah, procedural mysteries, espionage—that's where Brubaker really excels. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is this is like a, a John Le Carre uh, exactly, novel, yeah, as a as a comic in in many ways. I mean, this is Cold War spy stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and done really well. It, he doesn't fall back onto the cliches of Cold War storytelling. He gives it enough weight and enough um, seriousness 
because because let's face it, we're dealing with superheroes and mystical cubes, at, you know, and you know, and mind controlled super soldiers. You know, it's just there, there's some fantastic elements, but everything is given weight and seriousness so that you you know and believability. Yeah. The, the the fact that he could take the cosmic cube and work it such a it's a completely fantastical like you said a sort of item but he he's using it in a genre where that doesn't <clears throat> exist and he is able to weave that in it's completely believable it weird, is weirdly enough i mean you know the, when when Reed Richards is running around with a cosmic cube and you're like, okay, well, you know, they're off into space, they're doing whatever, it's all, you know, nothing nothing makes sense, this doesn't work in the real world. We It's part of why we like comics in some way is because some of it's just not explainable, it's just, it's fantasy, yeah. what have you. But here it's like, well, of course there's a cosmic cube. And it's used, it doesn't overwhelm the storyline, you know, it's just, it's part of the machinations of the, of the villain, but it's not the... It's not everything. Right. Uh, it's not, for instance, he didn't wish himself to be the cosmic cube. <laughs> and, uh. you know, and Bucky Barnes didn't take over someone else's body. <laughs> oh, by the way, spoilers, I guess. Uh, the Winter Soldier is Bucky Barnes. <laughs> if you didn't know that, where have you been? <laughs> Did not see that coming. To be honest, when I first read this, I read this as it was coming out in the early 2000, was it 2005? And uh, it did shock me that that was Bucky Barnes because, um, and this, this gets into the whole retcon thing that I was talking about. I think that this is probably the best retcon in comic, in comic book history. I know that's a bit hyperbolic, but it takes, it takes Bucky, who is a, you know, young teen, Dick Grayson-esque boy wonder type of uh, character, but ages him up. Not, not, not significantly. I think he's uh, 17 when when Cap first meets him during the war. Mm-hmm. And by the time they're talking about the missions, he's in his 20s. He's 21, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. So he's a man with talents and he's a trained black ops soldier. So he's not just well, this... Discussed. Yeah. Yeah, so he's not just this kid, but they talk about it as if, well, during the war, that was the propaganda. They, they made it seem like he was a young kid during right. the war, which is perfectly believable, you know? And and yet the fact that they're using him as he's doing all the dirty work, right? Exactly. He's he's, he's the one going behind the scenes and and cutting people's throats and you know stuff that Captain America can't do. Because, yeah, because he's he literally wearing the flag. Yeah, uh, which which is a very interesting take on him. No, it's 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 it's. I think it's a brilliant take on him. And they use the comic books, you know, the actual comic books that were coming out at the time. Again. Not really what, not, you know, quote unquote, really what was happening, but they're used it, but the, the military used it as, used those comics as propaganda. That's what they put out to the American public. Yeah. That's just really excellent stuff. I mean, but to, yeah. you, to your point, like just to circle back. Um, so I wasn't reading this when it came out. I, I wasn't reading Captain America at the time. I, I eventually picked up Captain America like after this had happened and, down the line a ways. Um, so I I think I knew that Bucky was back just based on, you know, the interwebs and comic book chatter, you know, being at the comic book store and people talking about it and whatnot. But how, you, you said that you didn't see it coming? 
No, I didn't. But and again, this is early 2000s. I wasn't completely in the loop of I wasn't incessantly checking websites. There wasn't a lot of <laughs> there wasn't. No, there no. wasn't a lot of, of stuff the same way that we have now. So I I was just getting the comic books because I like I I read Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a time that so there was Heroes Reborn, which was the whole Rob Liefeld run on Captain America. And that's best left not talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Although um, there's a name that that is forever seared into our yes yes the big Captain yeah, America yes the profile <laughs> oh my god uh, but then you know Dan Jurgens kind of took over and and revised revitalized it a little bit but when Brubaker took over there was it this was this was not like anything that was being done with Captain America it was this was a, just uh, revelatory as far as Captain America storytelling is is concerned. And I loved it. Uh, I loved everything about it. I loved the storyline. I loved the, the, it was given a serious take. And I was finally, you know, it, it was like this huge relief for somebody who's, who, who loves the character to get this and say, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes you wonder why it, it had, why something like this hadn't been done before. And I don't mean yeah. bringing Bucky back. I mean, just the way that Captain America is being written in this. Yeah, to be told as a as a spy story rather than as a superhero story. Right. How you know you're you're just like this is this how has this not existed? Yeah, so, so I just no oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I like I said I did not know that it was that it was Bucky and it really did. I mean I wasn't like <clears throat> I was shocked. I was like oh that's really really interesting. And I mean and 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 to to see the way the character develops. Uh, so the end of this arc ends with Bucky kind of coming to the an understanding of who he is. I suppose mm-hmm. we'll get to that in, in time. You know, the character will be developed down the line to what we see now. But um, but yeah, I mean, the character of Bucky Barnes was always sort of, I don't know, frivolous to me. I didn't, I'm not a big fan of the kid sidekick. You know? Right. Even Robin, the most famous kid sidekick of all. I, I, I much prefer a Nightwing than a, than a Robin. So yeah, so it made perfect sense to make him, you know, a grown-up, a grown-up man who can be uh, an ally rather than a just someone who says quips, right? Yeah. You know, and jumps around and yeah. Golly gee, Willicker, Willicker's cap. Yeah, I, I guess uh, so. For me, reading this, and I, I guess we'll touch on this a little bit um, because I knew what was coming. Uh, I was obviously reading this, kind of looking ahead, and I was looking for the clues. And there was something. It was. I have to be honest, it was the, the transition, the reveal was a little weird to me. It almost felt anticlimactic because my expectation had been something more shocking. Okay. I guess it's all in. in that's, not a, that's not a critique. It's just a, that that is like, that's how I was reading this. And so, you know, when it's halfway through the story arc and they're like, oh yeah, that's Bucky, by the way. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that now. But again, at the time when Sharon says, I saw his face and it was Bucky. I don't know. I, I remember being um, surprised by that. Mm-hmm. But at the time, but again, it's been a decade and a half since this reveal has happened. And he's a major wow. character with a television program coming out now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Is there a television show coming out with the Winter Soldier? There is. Huh. Um, I hear it's for the birds. Oh. <laughs> this is all good stuff, Brian. Someday you'll learn that. Uh, no, well, I, yeah. So, so the character of Winter Soldier has actually—it's what it, 
you can count on one hand the new characters that have been created that have taken hold mm-hmm. at Marvel or DC in the in the right. last decade or two. Yeah, and Winter Soldier just sort of, I don't know, captured people's imagination, I suppose. Yeah, and we could get into that a little bit. Uh, I assume you want to like talk about the actual issues or the comic itself. Um, yeah, well, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, as we tend to do, we're not going to go issue by issue. We'll just talk about the storyline in general. It'll have to be somewhat chronological because it is a mystery that's laid out. Mm-hmm. There is one issue in particular I think we should we should delve into, which is the interlude. Oh, the Jack Monroe? Yeah, the Jack Monroe interlude. I always thought that was so tragic. Yes. But let's get to that. First of all, okay. like I said, story takes place right after Avengers Disassembled. The... Uh, Collected edition we're reading is the ultimate collection. Uh, it's the first, it's the whole Cap, uh, Winter, uh, Winter Soldier arc. And that consists of issues one to nine and then 11 to 14 of the new run of Captain America. Issue 10 is excluded because it is a House of M crossover that has absolutely nothing to do with the storyline. So we're not going to talk about House of M at all. Although I guess House of M is somewhat relevant to what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now? A bit. A little bit. But not germane to our discussion right now. No, no, no. So it begins after the Avengers Disassembled storyline and Captain America is sort of on his own. He doesn't have the Avengers. He's sort of kind of alienated from S.H.I.E.L.D. Even, you know, he's sort of affiliated with them, but not. And he's just lost. He seems like he's having a lot of sads. He's having a lot of sads. Well, you know, Everyone he's ever known is dead. Right. And uh, he's basically lost all his new friends. And he oh, begins okay. to begins to act uncharacteristically reckless and uh, and violent for him. Uh, so that's so that's the point where Steve Rogers is at right now. He's at his lowest point. And we get a I don't know if it's a uh, a misdirect with the red skull. Yeah, there's a... it's a now. Brubaker that, does some interesting things here where th- there's a lot of misdirect. Yeah. Now the, so we get, we start with the Red Skull trying to, uh, you know, have, he has this nefarious plan where he's going to, you know, make Steve Rogers, he's going to make him pay for all the things he's done. And then suddenly Skull is killed. Now this of course is, is not the case down the line. The Red Skull will come back again because of course he does. Well, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, Eventually, he's going to be the Phoenix, I assume. But anyway, <laughs> everybody else has been. So yeah, so it seems like Red Skull is being set up as the the big bad of, of this. But then he's killed by an unknown assassin, uh, which is kind of shocking. You know, it's, it's right, unexpected. Yeah. Yes. And then we find you, out that... You don't, you don't expect to see the Red Skull in the first issue of a story arc with a uh, huge uh, gaping hole in his chest. Yeah. It, it, it was actually kind of interesting to see Captain America. No, nah, it's not him. I know it's not him because he's not just going to be killed like that. Right. Yeah. So it turns out that there is a Russian oligarch, former military leader who is now running a corporation, Alexander Lurkin. He's Lurkin in the background. <laughs> <laughs> who uh, he comes into possession of a uh, of a super soldier. Well, I guess he's Bucky's not a super soldier. He just sort of. He's just a regular guy with skills. He's got a warehouse full of old Russian tech and yeah. experimental weapons and things. 
And amongst those is a cryogenic chamber with uh, some body floating in it. And it turns out that that is, in fact, the Winter Soldier, a man with a particular set of skills. He will find you. Yes. And so the, the Winter Soldier is, is, is sent out to do missions where he has killed the skull and is doing acts of assassination and terrorism uh, around the globe, once in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah I, I thought of you as I was reading. <laughs> Yeah, Philadelphia is on fire, or you know, part of Philadelphia is on fire, and I was like, I hope Paul's family is okay. <laughs> now, if you ever grew up in Philly, it's just like, ah, it's on fire again. Uh, so anyway, uh, so a mystery begins, where Cap in in league with Shield is trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Who is this person, and why are these things happening? Right, and there's there's you know, so part of the plotting is that there there are so the cosmic cube is out there. They know that somebody has the cosmic cube. They know that somebody is also stealing AIM technology in order to power the cosmic cube. And that's kind of why one of these uh, acts, of the, the Philadelphia Act of Terrorism happened, was uh, ostensibly to power the cosmic cube. Now, we don't know who, and there's like a bunch of, it's there, It's kind of weird in this story. It's I, I, It works because it's Brubaker, and I don't know if it would work with... Uh, other writers, but there's there's a lot of misdirect, and I feel like occasionally there's it, it gets confusing, and I don't mean intentionally confusing. I mean it runs right up to the edge of being too much misdirect. Does that make sense? With aim and then aid and yes, you know, crossbones working for who is this person? It gets a little busy. Yes, it does. Because then you have because you also have you know, all the machinations of the Red Skull and what the Red Skull is doing. And then when he's taken out of the picture, kind of his organization doesn't know where to go and they're scrambling for leadership. Yeah, and I was I, like, who is Aim working for? You know, I was like, who is Aim working for? And who is, wait, and why is this guy over here? And again, I don't think, I, it comes right up to the edge. Uh, and to be fair, to be fair, uh, Brewbreaker does lay down some storylines that will be paid off in future story arcs down the road. The crossbones bit with uh, the young girl. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not I don't want to. Okay. Well, I guess we're full of sweat with Red Skull's daughter. Yes, exactly. Sin. Uh, yeah. And again, that'll be paid off way down the line and have uh, all kinds of ramifications for fear itself. And, and but that's such other. a typical Marvel technique that goes right. way back, you know, lay, laying down a plot line that perhaps will develop in a year yes but as far as this storyline it's basically you know the nitty-gritty is happening with the alexander lurkin and and all the things that he's trying to do because he's not only tell me if you think this is right his motivations are a bit unclear to me or maybe or let's say he has a lot of motivations yeah there's so I think so as 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 what is revealed to be the big bad, and I, I think he's even more the big bad than the Winter Soldier. Right. The Winter Soldier is also I, I don't want to say a MacGuffin. Um well he's he's a weapon. He's a weapon. Um but uh it, it's Lurkin who is the the one behind the scenes and and so part of this comes and and it's there's a lot of flashbacks in this comic, and we are you know the the narrator of the flashbacks, i.e. Steve Rogers in his head, is an unreliable narrator because as we find out, uh, his memories are being messed with by the Cosmic Cube. 
So, but some of the more solid flashbacks we get is, of course, uh, we go back to Germany and without getting into the weeds too much, Captain America is involved in a military action that is, what is it, Karpov? Um, yes. Kind of major Russian military leader of that time is teamed up with Captain America to do a bit of World War II business. Karpov gets embarrassed by Steve Rogers, by Captain America via various means and loses a lot of his people. These Russian soldiers are killed um, and Karpov kind of blames Captain America for all of that. And it's Karpov who, in the, the flashback that we get, like at the end of the scene sequence with Captain America and Karpov and all of this stuff, Karpov rescues a young villager, a young boy in the village who it turns out to be Larkin down exactly. the line. And, and he trains up Larkin to be his successor, what have you. Whew, sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I, to get through. I apologize. There's a lot more going on there, but we yeah. don't. Well, you know, and, and, you know, the, the Karpov also feels uh, inferior because the Soviets don't have super soldiers. Yeah, there's a great line. I actually highlighted it. Um, yeah, we have nothing but our winter. Right, which is great. It's great. It's a great line because, of course, it also sets the stage for the winter soldier. What comes later. But yeah, it's where he's talking to Captain America and he's like, we don't have superpower. But we have nothing but our winter. So, I you know, because in these flashbacks, we're getting Captain America and Bucky, but also the invaders namor and and the two human torches toro and the human torch so this comic is very rich in going and giving us like his captain americans captain america's history and bucky barnes's history um slightly different though that the, this is this is what i was getting to the whole the retcon thing right and i love the way that that he ties it into the uh, the present day captain america steve rogers not knowing if he can trust his memories he's like i I remember that happening, but did it happen that way? And he's right. almost like signaling to us, the reader, to say, yeah, you've heard these stories before, but this, it's, it's not the same. You know, you need to but, rethink how yeah. you think about these things. And to circle back to, so you're talking about uh, Lurkin's, um, is it Lurkin or Lucan? I, I guess it's... Oh, but, uh, it, it, probably, it probably is Lucan. I always called him Lurkin because it's funnier stick with Lurkin and if someone wants to correct us well it's more fun to say Lurkin so we'll stick with that uh, but you know you were asking his motivation I think his motivation primarily comes from Karpov's raising of him he raised him to hate Captain America but also his sense of you know we we get like Lurkin has a humanity that's we we see at the very beginning of the story arc where he has to kill a Russian super soldier but then demands that that person be treated with respect. So he's he's one of the last of the the sort of Russian true believers, right? Or the true believers in the USSR and uh, <laughs> face front Soviet true believers. <laughs> so I think some of his motive his motivation is there's a lot of different. Uh, you're right. There's a lot of different motivation for what okay. he's doing, but it's uh, primarily, I think it does come from a, a hatred that was instilled in him for Captain America. Because so, there's also, he's, he's trying to build his own wealth, build a corporation. You know, so he's, so he's, there's a greed thing. Plus he's trying to take vengeance on Captain America and not only Captain America, but the various iterations of Captain America. There have been others who have held the mantle. 
and Western civilization. And Western civilization. Yeah, he's he's got a lot on his plate. Uh, and then all the while in the background, he has sort of this vision of the Red Skull kind of living in his head. Yes. Uh, we don't. Or well, there's a mysterious voice that keeps speaking to him. Yes, that's actually a, a revelation at the end that yeah. that it's the skull. Spoiler. Uh, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. All kinds of spoilers on this. Winter Soldiers, uh, Bucket Barnes. <laughs> what? Total side note. My wife Terry at the time did not uh, had the only thing she knows about comic books is what I have rambled on to her about over <laughs> the course of our relationship. So we watched, I made her watch the Captain America movies, which she enjoyed. But when it got to Winter Soldier and Bucky was revealed, there was an audible gasp. She went, <gasps> that's Bucky. <laughs> Good. Excellent. <laughs> um, I bet that's exactly what the filmmakers wanted. But I, I assure you that every comic book fan watching that movie went, yeah, it's Bucky. Yeah, we know. Yeah, We knew this. <laughs> this is known. Anyway, complete aside, might cut all that bit out, but I thought it was funny. Uh, so the story, you know, again, it's told as a, an espionage thriller with a lot of uh, historical background. And eventually we get Steve Rogers. There's an arc for Steve Rogers in this where he starts out very low, uh, very, you know, like I said, uncharacteristically uh, reckless and, and, and wanting to lash out. And he just keeps getting lower and lower until he finally realized when, when the revelation that it is Bucky Barnes, his best friend from the, from the military, from World War II. Back in the day. Back in the day. Is this vicious killer. He begins to build himself back up. That, that's the impetus for, uh, for Steve Rogers to, you know, he, he wants to save Bucky at that point. Yeah. And everybody's telling him, Sharon Carter, and everybody is like, you need to be prepared to, to yeah. kill him. Yeah, we're going to have to take him out. We have to take him out. Yeah. So He's not Bucky anymore. And there's a whole issue that basically lays out, talk about retconning, it's that whole issue where Bucky, as Winter Soldier, is inserted into the past. Exactly. And, and all I, of the crimes that he's committed. I really enjoy the way that particular issue is told, because it's, it's told as if Steve Rogers is reading a dossier. Right. He's given the, he's given these papers, uh, mysteriously given these papers, and he's reading the history of the Winter Soldier uh, in this dossier. And it's and it's laid out that way on the page, as if you're you know reading papers and seeing little photographs. Right. Uh, I think that was really well done, actually, because it's a it's a huge amount of information, but it's presented in a very dynamic and interesting way. Yeah. So Winter Soldier is inserted into the history. I'm so thankful they didn't have him killing Kennedy because they always have someone killing Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Uh, literally dodged a bullet on that one. Oh. <laughs> I would love to see all the supposed people in comics who have killed Kennedy from, you know, the Watchmen to Umbrella Academy. Yeah, I was just and, thinking Umbrella Academy, yeah. And on and on and on. I would just love to see them all laid out around that around that street corner. You know, <laughs> just like where were they all positioned? <laughs> How many grassy knolls were there? Exactly. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so we find out that that Bucky, as the Winter Soldier, a mind uh, mind wiped Winter Soldier, is put in cryogenic freezing and unfrozen every decade or so to do something horrendous and then put back again. But we do all for, find out, all for, all for the sake of Mother Russia, all for the sake of Mother Russia. But we do find out that he does 
not necessarily have uh, memories of who he was, but he knows something's wrong and he keeps going AWOL from time to time. But only when sent back to the States. Yes. So he, um, so Bucky in his mind wiped form is trying desperately to grasp onto who he really is, which sets the uh, stage for when the big climactic confrontation between Bucky and Steve Rogers. And this actually is the one part of the story that I find I say climactic, it should be anticlimactic. Thank you. Uh, it's it's probably my major quibble. Yeah. Uh, I've always found this to be, uh, for a writer like Brubaker, who weaves such complicated storylines, to have such a, in my mind, a cop-out. He, he, he no more mutants to everything. I mean, yes. Well, he just picked up the Cosmic Cube and said, remember who you are. Remember, Simba, who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... All of this buildup, right? And and then that final ep- issue is this huge fight scene. Almost the entire issue is just one long fight scene. Yeah, and then, you know, it's just like, oh, and then Bucky accidentally drops the Cosmic Cube. <laughs> and Steve just picks it up and was like, hey. Yeah. You're Bucky yeah. again, buddy. And Bucky's like, yeah. oh, yeah, hey, what's up, man? I mean, he does He does have a bit of a mental breakdown because all of his memories come flooding back and he does remember who he is. He remembers what he did. I kind of think that in the movies, especially Civil War, that it was done better. It was, it was done a little bit more subtle because he is asked in, in the film, Captain America Civil War, he's asked, do you remember everything you, you did? And he says, yes, I remember everyone I killed. And I, that's much more, I don't know, it was, it was more impactful. I think. Yeah, it was, it was just it was kind of weird. It's it's in the same way that the reveal was the initial reveal was a little weird to me. Again, because I think my expectation was higher. So that is that on me, the reader, or is that on the writer? You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not so much. I mean, I I I can see where you're coming from. I can see how it could be taken that way. I just I guess I have the memory of not knowing that at the time. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was impactful for me at the time. So I'm not, but I do, uh, yeah. The conclusion just sort of, it was. And, it was I, I, get it, I get it to some point because it's a serialized comic. We, he, you know, Brubaker has been going for 14 months on this storyline. Right. And, you know, at some point, even as a writer, you're like, ah, I got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> got to wrap this up. Let's go. Next, please. You know, it's, um, it, it's very frustrating sometimes as a reader when a story arc goes on too long. And we've all had those comics that we've read where it's where you're like, come on, let's wrap this up already. I mean, like, come on, Bendis. I mean, not to name <laughs> names or anything. <laughs> it's, this story's been going on for two years. Yeah, this could have been another story. And this this could have been an email. Let's go. <laughs> Sometimes I think writers must feel that way, too, particularly when they get so bogged down in a storyline and they feel like they've written themselves in some ways in a corner and they're like, yeah. man, I just want to move on, but I've got all these loose ends. You see that one of the unfortunate things is when a, a writer has a story arc going or has a series that they get and the series get, gets canceled and they're basically like, you got one more issue to wrap everything up. And when you read those issues, when you uh, read the wrap up issue, when a series gets canceled, or what have you, they're always terrible. Yeah. And again, it is a minor quibble because everything leading up to that moment is really well done. 
it feels like when you have to uh, let's let's make this pg rated it feels like when you have to sneeze <laughs> you know and you're 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 like about to sneeze you're about to sneeze and you're almost there and you're almost there and you're almost and then you don't sneeze yes so it's 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 an aborted satisfaction yes say. okay <laughs> but yeah i mean up until that moment yeah and, and to be fair to the storyline a lot of the things that were set up in this arc like i said do continue uh, along brew baker's run and get more fleshed out and there's there's more satisfying conclusions to come i guess we can take solace in the fact that they didn't have the ultimate cliche of just i know you're in there bucky i know you are you yeah know, oh that, that would have been worse that yeah, whole like that thing emo. that we always see yeah and then and then bucky is he's just about to do the the worst thing ever and then i know you're there Oh, you're right. I'm here. I'm not going to do this thing. But again, you know, other than that, lead it. The lead up to that is amazing. It's a big jet setting. I mean, let's. I mean, I love the fact. You know, we're in Paris. We're in Russia. We're in Germany. Where, you know, again, it's like that international spy story. Yeah, I, you know, you even get puffing around, being all Nick Fury. And this is helicarriers, and this is old school Nick Fury. Non-Samuel L. Jackson. Non-Samuel L. Jackson, yes. The uh, <laughs> David Hasselhoff <laughs> version. <laughs> Man. But there's, I mean, this series does a lot of heavy lifting. There, I mean, this story arc that has, does a lot of heavy lifting because it's, it's retconning Captain America's past. It's tying up a bunch of loose ends from previous story arcs before Brubaker took over. It's introducing a new character. Uh, it's laying the line. It's laying storylines for the future, and it's and it's basically setting up a new status quo for Captain America. There's a lot going on in this, but it. I guess, like you said, it, at times it can feel a bit overwhelming, but I think that overall it's handled, you know, pretty deftly. That um, and it's stuck, right? I mean, that's um, you're the Captain America guy. Has hasn't most of this? Oh, absolutely. Still, you know, so I mean, there have been um, some deviations, Secret Empire crap that happened. Oh, sorry, did my bias show through? Uh, <laughs> uh, but for the most part, yes, this version of Captain America has carried through to the movies as well. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this status quo is uh, was established and continues because it's good. It's a good way to present this character. And it gives him a lot of uh, nuance. It gives him some ulterior motives that, you know, weren't always present over the years. Yeah. I mean, he could always get emo about being like, I'm not living in the same time I was before. But it always felt sort of superficial in previous iterations of Captain America. This time it feels real. Like he's truly sad about. Just it really brings out the, the, the man out of time. You know, yeah. Again. Well, no, that's the, you know, he is a man out of time. It, he's, you feel his loss there. You know, it's not just, he's a superhero. He's living in a different time. He lost everyone he knew and his purpose. He, 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 you know, upset. He got frozen when there was a war on and he wakes up and that war is not only over, it's been over for decades, you know? So his whole purpose is gone. Uh, yeah. So anyway, you get, you feel there's more, he's, he's more of a dynamic He's a richer character because of this. 
And I do want to say, don't get me wrong. I love even silly 70s Captain America. So it's all good. Right. <laughs> Listen here, mister. Remember the 60s when he was calling everybody mister all the time? Yeah. Let me tell you, son. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a lot going on here. I do want to talk about uh, Jack Monroe real quick. In the 50s, Captain America, the book itself was tried to, they tried to revive it with Captain America, Call Me Smasher, which is, if you've ever read it, it only lasted for six issues and it's not good. Although the, the concept, well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but this is another form of the retcon where they said, well, it wasn't really Steve Rogers. It was someone else taking over the mantle who just was surgically altered to look like him. And they brought in another uh, Bucky and, and so forth. And that Bucky that they brought in was Jack Monroe. Over the years, the character of Jack Monroe has weaved in and out of Captain America storylines. He was a villain. He was nomad. He was scourge. And he's, he's been given the backstory where he was given an, a flawed version of the super soldier serum, to which it has broken down his body and his mind. And he's sort of, he's sort of losing touch with reality. And in one issue, they show his story. It's, an inter, it's called an interlude. He's, he's stalking his daughter, <laughs> who's a child, who's been adopted by another family. Right. And he sees what he thinks is some drug dealers at her school. So he goes on it, you know, before he dies, by golly, he's going to wipe out all these, all these drug dealers in this town. Puts on his well, persona as nomad. He overhears, yeah. He overhears a tip at the bar that he's a regular at, you know, saying, yeah, that's, this guy's at the, at the school three days a week. And he's, you know, yeah. given this to the kids and yeah, they eat that stuff up. Yeah. They eat that stuff up. And uh, so Jack Monroe goes on this vigilante spree of trying to track down these drug dealers and he just beats the hell out of, of people all over town. But it turns out everything's everything he thought was a, it was a hallucination. Right. Yeah. He's, he's actually losing. just, he's losing. He's actually just beating up innocent people. And the, the thing he overheard was actually an ice cream, a guy who owns an ice cream truck. He's around the elementary school and they just eat that stuff up. Yeah. Just an innocent guy who's selling ice cream to kids. Not exactly. Even a creep, not even creepy. Yeah. I mean, I just thought this was such a uh, tragic, really, and it's told from Jack Monroe's perspective. So you think it's easy. He's an yeah, un, unreliable narrator. Uh, so, but we think we get a different perspective on everything that happened once we get that reveal at the end. And by the way, Jack Monroe is killed by Bucky. Yeah. And it's, it's a very tragic, and he's killed by Bucky uh or the winter soldier yeah. uh, to be used as part of a pawn. Certain things are, they use his body to make it seem like it was Jack Monroe who was doing some of these terroristic activities, not the ones where he's running around town beating up supposed drug dealers, but. Uh, well, no, they, they use actually very clever conceits where uh, they do these horrible acts of terrorism. And then they have, they plant a body on the scene to make it look like that was the person doing it. Oh, uh, also to try to, you know, basically screw with Steve Rogers' head. Uh, it's a dual purpose. But it's pretty tragic. You know, yes. it's, um, it's, I think Brubaker treats it well. You know, I mean, we, we so often get, you know, characters are killed for, killed for ratings, as it were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something, you know, Brubaker did uh, perhaps in a, a few issues later or a few 
years later in Captain America as well. Well, uh, you know, uh, that 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 was a yeah, <laughs> he, he did that for different reasons. Uh, we're talking about killing Captain America, by the way. Right. But it didn't hurt sales. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. The tragedy, the tragedy of the whole Civil War crossover is that it sold very well so that we have to deal with that storyline over and over and over again. But it's uh, in in this one. It was it, it was a very he he treated he he did well with this. And and if you're going to kill a character, particularly, I don't want to say they're a legacy character. I don't want to call Jack Monroe a, a legacy character necessarily. Although there's legacy aspects to him. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it wasn't done for shock value. It was done. There was a real purpose for it, and that Brubaker made it as tragic as he did um, is, is pretty telling. It, it yeah. was it was well done, although brutally done. Exactly. And, um, you know, you can't really call, even even hardcore comic book fans would say, Jack Monroe, who? He's not exactly but well known. No matter, Scourge, they're going to, uh, they'll be, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, but, but it was handled with, um, I don't want to say respect, but it was handled with. Um, it wasn't cheap. No, it, exactly. It wasn't cheap. It, it was handled with a with some seriousness, and uh, it was given the weight that it deserves. So anyway, I always thought that was a that was a nice little interlude, literally an interlude. So let's talk about Steve Epting's uh, art for a bit. It's it's a very realistic style. I I think he draws uh, action incredibly well, especially uh, one of the things I really appreciate is. Shield throwing. There's lots of, uh, you know, that's Cap's signature move, throwing the shield. But there's right. lots of panels where you'll just see Captain America facing forward with just a shield flying in the background, bumping someone in the head. And then another panel where it just comes back to his hand again. Yeah. And there's it's just... Actually, there's kind of... A, there's a few humorous bits with that, too. It's, uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I just think it's, it, uh, it is just it's really funny. well done. I don't have really much more to say about this other than it's, you know... Obviously, he's got the photorealism sort of feel to his work, and uh, you know, he draws faces and emotions pretty well, too, particularly close ups. Yep, I, I like I've, I've always liked that. Some people don't care for his work, they feel it's a, a little, um, it's not as cartoony as, as some folks want. He is not a cartoony artist, oh, not at all. He's no, he, he's much more like you said, the photorealistic kind of style. But at the same time, his action is dynamic. It's it's there's he he conveys movement incredibly well, and it works really well with the style of storytelling, right? That Brubaker does. There's a reason Brubaker has worked with him on, on numerous projects. It ends. It adds to the seriousness and the weight of this story that's being told. You know, it's it's the the mood that Brubaker is trying to capture, and Epting fits that incredibly well. It, he does. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it never feels posed. A lot of times when you get someone who's doing real photorealistic work, obviously they're working for models and such, and it just feels like the action is just sort of like all the characters are just kind of being posed in the, in their in each Static. panel. Static, yeah. exactly. I don't get I never get that feeling from Epting. I always get a feeling of really good movement and one panel flows into the next. Well, there you know, he's considered one of the great artists of you know, his, this era. And there's, there's a reason for that. So, yeah, but there are other artists who are photorealistic who are considered great artists and they are, but they don't. Yeah. And then there's Greg Land. Yeah. 
Less said about that, the better. <laughs> so overall, I just, uh, you know, this is one of those, sounds cliche to say, it's one of those landmark series that really uh, helps propel forward. And this is at a time in Marvel, you know, when they brought in the architects to uh, to oh, revitalize. Right. Yeah, where they brought in Bendis and Brubaker and Matt Fraction and Rucka. And, Jason Aaron. Eventually. And Jason Aaron, yeah. So they brought in... A little bit later, I could be... Uh, yeah, well, they brought in all the the heavy hitters, basically, and, and right. to kind of revitalize Marvel, which was uh, a little stagnant there for a bit. And this and this was one of the series that really propelled them forward and put them put them back on a solid footing again. Right. Well, I mean, it's the, the Brubaker's entire run on Captain America is. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. It's it's one of my favorites. It's definitely in the top three. I would say. Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because you know I love Gruenwald's run. Right. Gruenwald's run and um, and the seventies stuff is just I have a fondness for it because that's what I grew up with. So yeah, so the Englehart run, Gruenwald, Gruenwald, and then Brubaker. Not necessarily in that order. They could change at any time. Uh, but anyway, I just think this is just a fabulous run uh, and brought new life to a character that's uh, sorely needed it. Well, and it's it's been great to go back and revisit. And it, it scratches like, you know, my itch a lot too for, you know, my, uh, you know, I, I tend to enjoy the more hard-boiled, noirish, you know, crime thriller stuff in general so you know it's like reading reading brubaker at his prime like this is 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 great absolutely uh so that's it i would highly recommend this i assume you would as well i do as well thumbs up (laughs) so as always there's a lot more about this we could talk about but i think everyone should just go out and read it on their own yeah read the whole run read the whole brubaker run yeah you can skip Civil you, War. Most of you, most of, most everybody has already read it, but you know, go back and read it again. You deserve it. Um, I actually am. <laughs> so I continued reading uh, after after I got like as as I'm wont to do when we read these series. I'm still reading Black Haber. Uh, Me too. So next time in an all new edition of the collected edition, it is Brian's pick. Uh, what are we, we going to do? Hmm, well, oddly enough, I'm going to be timely. That's not like you. Not like me at all. <laughs> uh, Paul, you do a much better job about being timely than I do, or I tend to be a little more random. But um, I've been dancing around recommending this comic for a while, so why not do it when there's a show coming up? So for next uh, next podcast, we're going to be reading Robert Kirkman's Invincible. That's the one with uh, Mark Wahlberg about the Philadelphia football player yes yeah yeah that, that's <laughs> the one apparently there is a uh hbo is going to have a show is it soon. hbo i thought it was amazon oh no i think you're right it is amazon okay. anyway we're going to be reading for our purposes invincible ultimate collection hardcover volume one Woo-hoo. which will comprises of issues uh one through 13 of the long-running and lovely Invincible series by Robert Kirkwood. Awesome. Anyway. I, look, I look forward to reading that. Uh, but anyway, everyone, thanks for listening. I uh, really do appreciate, uh, I appreciate you being here for us. <laughs> I should get better at closing. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we do want to hear what you have to say about the show, so please 
leave us leave a comment on our website, collecteditionpodcast.com, or hit us up at Twitter at collected ed pod. That's collected E D P O D. I guess that's all the stuff to say is keep reading comics. And be well. You've been listening to the Collected Edition, a comic book podcast. The Collected Edition is a Daddy Elk production. All materials used on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at collectededitionpodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also send us feedback at comments at collectededitionpodcast.com or on Twitter at collectededpod. That's collected E-D-P-O-D. The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast, is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained?